awesome. It's been so, such a privilege to be part of so many stories, and we look forward to seeing what God's going to do in this next year, these next five years, because we have big dreams, big expectations, and big prayers for the time that's ahead of us, don't we? Yeah? Yeah, we, we believe God's going to do some great things. T- today, for our one-year anniversary, we're kicking off a new series called Chase the, the Lion, which is um, written by Mark Batterson, and he has a book that accompanies it. It's a very encouraging book if you're looking for something to read right now, Chase the Lion by Mark Batterson, who, who's the author uh, of this. And it, it begins to just unpack what it looks like for, for this one character in Scripture. And, and he's only, this character that the book studies and, and talks about is only in three verses, well, in, in one section, he's only in three verses. There's actually a couple chapters that, that talk about who he is and some of his other adventures. But he's one of these guys who, who, who did crazy things and did crazy things for God. He, he was part of the David's 37 mighty men. These were sort of like the SEAL team uh, of the army of that time. But to begin to get in the head of, uh, of a guy who, who is in, in that, that, that group, that demographic of people who just do insane things, because of their faith and because of what they feel called to do. I wanted to just quickly go back to a story that we heard about that happened on September 11, 2001, which we all know that day, and it's a day that has great heartache for us and our country because it's a day where a group of terrorists uh, hijacked planes to, to commit terrible acts of evil. And two planes went into the towers, and a plane went down in a field in Pennsylvania. Another plane went into the Pentagon. And when that plane crashed into the Pentagon, Lieutenant Colonel Ted Anderson was there working that day. And as fire was blazing and people were terrified, not knowing what was going on or if another explosion would occur, and people were running from the building and running from the flames, Lieutenant Ted Anderson, he ran towards them. And he found a window that he could break through and he took off his coat and he put it over the broken glass so that he could climb into the part of the building that was burning and he's crawling beneath the flames, yelling out to find anyone that he can. And him and a non-commissioned officer, they found a woman who was unconscious and a woman who was badly burned and they carried them out to safety. And over the next hour, they went in and out of the building finding anyone that they could until the firemen were there and they actually physically restrained him from going back in, which was a good thing because moments later the building collapsed. They probably saved his life. But what is it inside of someone that they would go and take these tremendous risks? Do these things that when everyone else is running away, they're running towards something that everyone else is terrified of. What is it inside that person? I think there's a few things. I think there's courage. I, I think there's a willing to risk. And, and as was the case in, in Lieutenant Ted Anderson's life, there, there's an element of faith. That this is what I, I need to do. And, and to understand David's mighty men, you have to begin to understand this mentality of I'm okay with risking loss. I'm okay with risking embarrassment. I'm okay with risking even my safety to go and do what I know I should do. And so if you have your Bible with you today, we're going to be looking at a couple different passages in 2 Samuel 23, 20 through verse 23. That's going to be the main place where we're at, but we'll also be looking at Matthew 25 and John 4 if you'd like to mark those places and revisit them later in the week. 2 Samuel 23, 20, it introduces us to, to Benaniah. And, and 
it starts in verse 20 saying, There was also Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, and this is where, where the, the, this is the key verse of this book, another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once armed with a club, he killed an opposing Egyptian warrior. First Chronicles actually tells us that this Egyptian warrior was seven foot six, who was armed with a spear, and Benaniah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Deeds like this made Benaniah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. He was more honored than any of the other members of the 30, though he was not one of the three. And David made him captain of his bodyguard. Now as we hear this story and we hear the crazy things that he did, we suffer from what's called hindsight bias in storytelling. Because we, as we hear this story, we already know that he's going to be okay, and we know that he survived it. But can we just step back for a moment as if you were accompanying him on that day? First of all, when the person you're with starts chasing a lion, you start questioning the sanity of the company that you're keeping. Like first, it works the other way. Lions chase people. People don't chase lions. But there was something in his head that he said, you know, this is something that I'm going to do. And he went and chased him. And then the lion fell into a pit. And as that lion is in the pit, this is probably a good time to walk away and just leave the lion there. But he proceeded to chase the lion all the way into a pit. And not just on a sunny day, it was on a snowy day. A day where you could slip. A day where you have the perfect excuses to not go after this thing. You know, if it was a sunny day where I had my footing, maybe I would do something like chase a lion. Even on a snowy day, he did this. And and this one act that, you know, seems kind of meaningless, but it's probably something that's really good to have on your resume if you're applying for bodyguard to the king. Like, yeah, I can take down a lion on a snowy day if I had to. But, but this was actually the opening for so many other stories that God would write in his life. And a, a, as we reflect on this verse and the type of men that we see in Scripture who would go and do these incredible things, and we reflect on who we are, the way that we live out our faith, the way that we take risks, I'd say one of the things that's wrong with the, the church today, it's not that we take too many risks, that we try too many daring things. It's that we have found this great treasure of knowledge, the fact that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us our sins, to give us new life, to empower us to live a life that is filled with more love and peace than what we could have imagined, that we found this treasure and that we've hidden it. And that we don't take risks to let other people know. And we don't take risks to move the gospel forward. And and we don't do anything that would make us suffer loss. And and we've begun to live this very conservative, safe life. And when we look at men in Scripture and people in Scripture, we see people who would take these insane risks to do so many things for their faith and for their city and for their family. There's something about lion chasers that, that they're just not wired the way that we're naturally wired. And when we trace back Benaniah's story to this fight-or-flight moment where he decided to chase the lion, we see God begin to open other opportunities. And so as we begin to just reflect on some of this, one of my questions for you, are you going to run away from what you're afraid of, or are you going to run towards the roar? Are you going to let fear dictate your decisions, or are you going to live by faith and chase the lion, because not much has changed in 3,000 years. Like, when we lack the guts to go after what God has put in front of us, 
We miss tremendous opportunities to see him do something in our life and see him do something in the life of someone else. And the goal of our life is not to, end, to arrive at the end of it safe with what we've had. Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable uh, of the talents. In this story, Jesus talks about a master who has this wealth, and he entrusts it to three different servants in three different amounts. And then after a time of giving them these resources, he calls them back to account and almost has this day of reckoning of saying, okay, I gave you these resources. What have you done with them? And the first servant returns to him in Matthew 25 and says, you gave me five, and I've earned five more. Here's ten before you. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the next one comes and says, you've entrusted me with with these resources, and I've doubled it as well. And he says, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the last servant comes before him and says, you gave me this, and I was afraid of losing it, so I just buried it in the ground, and and I brought back to you what was yours. You don't work for things anyway. You take and, and you reap where you have not sown, and lays it before him. And the master says to him, you wicked and lazy servant. And I want to pause because realize that this servant, he didn't lose anything. But he also didn't risk anything. And the thing that we don't want to happen is to arrive at the end of our life saying, God, I didn't take any risks, but I also didn't lose, and I didn't get embarrassed. And I took no chances, but but I did okay. And God would look at that person and he says, I gave you resources to be used. And I told you that I would be with you as you took chances. And as I put callings on your heart, though they were frightening, I promised my presence to be with you through it all. I gave you my Holy Spirit to counsel you and guide you. Don't just return to me what I've given you. Return to me a prophet. Return to me that that you invested in other people's lives. The, The goal of our life, it's not to just reach the end having what God's giving us, but to use it, invest it, and use it for other people. We, we should be having dreams for our life that, that are impossible without God's intervention. And, and the first point that I want to give to you guys today, and it's part of Chase the Lion, is let's go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. And I believe that this is true for us as a church, and this should be true for you in your personal life. That I believe that when God says, you are my child, that he is not intending that you live your life in a safe and quiet manner, but that he has an adventure for you. That he has a calling before you. That he has purposes before you. That he has placed people around you in your life. That he wants you to encourage and impact. And we can choose to take the route of inaction and no risk. Or we can chase after God-given dreams and callings that might make us look foolish, that may not pan out the way that we expect them to. But I'll tell you what, God is responsible for the outcome and you are responsible for the faithfulness and the obedience in it. And if you look at the the plan for the next year, the next five years, the next ten years of your life, and you say, you know what, I can pull this off on my own, then I would say your plans are too small. I would say that God has something better for you And that's true for you, and I believe that's true for us as a church. Because you know what? As I told people, our our plan, you know, well, we've got five people, and we're going to move from Indiana down to Florida, and we're going to open a church. And most people's reaction was like, well, that sounds great, but you're going to have a church with about five people, right? 
Uh, because that, that doesn't sound like a really solid plan. Like no building, no job, no house. Like it doesn't sound like a really solid plan. Well, I mean, we have a vacation rental house we'll move into when we get there. Uh, the plan doesn't always make sense. But when God has called you to do something, and I tell you, obedience always makes sense. And as we talk about this, like, you know, there's lions to be chased, there's risks to be taken. Not, not everything is, is your lion, not everything is your calling. Don't go to Jungle Larry's in Naples and climb in the lion cage and tell them Gulfside Church told me to do it. Like, I know it's the Naples Zoo now, but if you're from there, it's still always Jungle Larry's to you. Um, don't go swimming with alligators and be like, well, you know, I'm chasing the lion. Uh, we, we, we put it through this filter uh, of Peter when he was on the boat and Jesus was out on the water. When Jesus was walking out on the water and Peter said, tell me it's you and I'll come to you. If Jesus calls you to step out of the boat, you should step out of the boat. But if he doesn't, you shouldn't. But when he calls, that's when we have to respond. And one of the things that's been a heartbeat of this church since the very beginning is that we believe that we are a church who is called to go, called to take risks, called to move forward, called to move out into our city in every way we can. Because we believe that there are people walking through this life by themselves who needs the body of Christ engaged with them, who needs the message of the gospel shared with them in a way that they can understand. And so our dreams, they need to be big dreams. It's not just about our friends coming together, but it's about chasing after something that is bigger than ourselves. This is the definition the, the, the book Chase the Lion gives for the definition of a God-sized dream. The definition of a God-sized dream will always be beyond our ability, beyond our logic, and beyond our resources. We have tremendous dreams for what God is going to do through this gathering of people, and it extends so much farther than just what we're going to do in Cape Coral. And I, and I say this now because I want the accountability for it, and I want to be able to, five years, ten years from, from now, call back and say, hey, look, even during the first year we were talking about this. I believe that we're not just going to make a difference in this city, but I believe that we're called to identify an area outside of our country that would be described as a slum, and that we adopt that area with a long-term relationship where we provide vocational, vocational training for adults, a local church to continue to impact that area, a school for children, and medical care. And that's one of the things that's in the future for Gulfside Church, which sounds like a foolish dream for a church that doesn't even have a building yet. I mean, like, who meets in a high school for church? Only crazy people do that, right? Right. But I, I love that I found some other crazy people, but we are moving forward towards dreams that are bigger than ourselves. We don't have the resources to do this. But I'm going to tell you, I know that it's going to happen because it's a God-given dream and because he has all the resources that we need when we walk in obedience to him. Our, our faith, it pushes us forward. And, and when we talk about faith, when we talk about living out our faith, it's not just something that we feel, but it's something that we have to act on. And, and faith, Mark Patterson, he talks about it in two ways. He says, one, faith is a willingness to look foolish. Your faith is, it's going to put you in some situations where you look foolish because there's going to be times where people criticize you and your faith is going to say, don't strike back, don't defend yourself. And other people are going to look at you and they're going to be like, that's foolish. Like, I, I know you're not what they're saying. Why don't you embarrass them? Why don't you fight back? And there will be a part in your heart that's guided by the, the Spirit of God that says, just don't fight back. I'm going to fight this battle for you. There, there's going to be ways that you could get ahead that you know God won't, doesn't want me to operate that way. And, and you'll choose to slow your career to honor Him, only to see God catapult it forward later. 
but other people will look at you and call you foolish. Noah looked foolish when he was building an ark. Peter looked foolish when he was jumping out of the boat. Sarah, she looked foolish when she was buying maternity clothes in her old age. Throughout Scripture, we see Ben and I, he looks foolish jumping into the pit with with a lion. Throughout Scripture, we see story after story of someone taking a step forward to pursue the calling that God has placed on their heart, and they look like a fool. And so why would we expect anything else for our life? There's going to be times where chasing after the dreams that God has given us is going to make us look foolish. I can't pray for God to heal that cancer. I can't change majors. I can't change my job. I can't seek out counseling. I can't ask her out. I can't share my faith. I can't pray for that miracle. I can't fill out that application. I can't make that move. I can't make that call. I might look foolish. Which all amounts back to, I'm afraid of loss. I'm afraid God won't be enough. I'm afraid to look the fool. And church, I want to I empower you to fail forward. I want to empower you to take that risky step that it may not turn out exactly the way that you thought it would, but you know that when God calls you to do something, you would rather fail in obedience than look successful in disobedience. A process of that, and it's the second thing that he describes, is faith is unlearning our fears. Faith is unlearning our fears. What, what the, the DSM, the Diagnostic of Statistical manual, manual of Mental Disorders, says is that there's hundreds of fears, but we're only born with two of them, fear of loud noises and a fear of falling. So that means all the other fears that we have are learned fears, that through our life we've learned to be afraid of risk, we've learned to be afraid of public failure, we've learned these things, which also means that we can unlearn them. And the process of unlearning these in our faith is trusting God above that voice in our head that says, you can't do it. You're not called to it. God is not going to see you through that. And as our faith grows and we take these steps of obedience, of doing what God's asked us to do, it empowers us to get bolder and bolder. And what we see in the life of Benaiah is that when he began to you know, chase the lion, when he began to serve in the army, God began doing more and more in his life, showing up in bigger and bigger ways. And, and it's an interesting thing because he served as the bodyguard to David. And, and that, that's a great position, but God had even bigger things in store for his life. What 1 John 4.18 says is that perfect love casts out or expels all fear. Love, and especially love for God and the love that God has for you, It's not just a feeling that's felt, but it's something that should empower you to act with boldness and openness. And and this is funny because I I see this play out in different ways, especially in my kid's life. I I have a two-year-old son, and and I also have a six-year-old, almost eight-year-old and ten-year-old daughter. But but my son, he's funny because he's super bashful, even at two years old. Like, he gets embarrassed, and he, he, like, he just... He'll clam up. If you try to say hi to him today after church while he's on my shoulder, he'll probably hide his face from you in my neck. But, but when we're at home, and he knows that he's loved, and he knows that he's safe, like he is the funniest little dude. And, and we, our girls were playing this dance game on the TV, and he got in front of them, and he's just dancing wildly. And, and I want to tell you, one of the reasons why he does that at home and does not do that at, here around you is because he knows the love that is held for him at home and how safe he is and how he can be just himself there. 
And, and this is how it plays out, that when we grow closer to our Heavenly Father, and we know that He loves us, we know that we can take risks, we, we know that we can be who we want to be and who we're called to be. Because our Heavenly Father has such a tremendous love for us that it casts out all of our fears and all of our anxieties. And so we can walk with confidence through the calling and the dreams that He's placed on our life. And you've probably heard this question before. If you knew that you couldn't fail, what would you do? What would you try? What dream would you pursue if you knew that you couldn't fail? And that's a good question, but I've got a better one for you. What dream is so important to you that even if you knew you would fail, you could not live with yourself unless you pursued it? What is the dream that you've identified in your life, the calling that God has placed on your heart and mind that is so crucial to who you are as a person that you would say, even if I fail, even if I can't pull this off, I have to chase it. I have to chase this lion. I have to do this with the next five years of my life. Because I'd say right now, if you don't have that dream, if you don't have that, that thing that you're praying about right now, you might be slipping to inaction in your life. And I don't believe that we're called to that. I believe there's family members, that there's neighbors, that there's coworkers, that there's people you haven't met in this city and across the world that our lives are meant to impact. And we should all feel like we have this calling on our heart from God that we have to chase after. And it's not just a chase, I believe that it's a fight. I've told this story a bunch of times. I'm going to tell it a hundred more, I'm sure, in the next few years because I love this story. When we were pursuing meeting here at Island Coast and I knew with certainty that God had called us to be here in the Northeast and that this is where we were going to meet, I have a couple emails from the administration that I'm going to frame and put in my office when I have an office one day that are the rejection letters saying, no, you cannot meet at this school. One of them, which was, I think, my favorite of the rejection letters, I got at 6.30 p.m., so he was making sure he was leaving for the day, and it said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to pursue something else. This, isn't ju this just isn't going to work out. And then it had a little sad face emoji, which really helped to, like, console my heart with that rejection. Thank you for the sad face emoji. I got that at 6.30 p.m., 6.30 a.m. I'm outside in the parking lot waiting for him to come out because he's going to have to reject me to my face because I'm not ready to give up on this dream because I believe that God planted this dream in our life and so I'm not going to just let it walk away when I could have just been like, oh shucks, I, I tried. It didn't work out. I guess God will have to find somewhere else or do something else. But I knew this is where we were supposed to be so I was willing to fight for that dream. And I want to tell you, if there's something that's been on your heart and you've encountered resistance and you've just stepped back from that dream that you have for your family, for your marriage, for your business, for your calling, you need to fight for that dream. And, and this is the, th the third point, is fight for your dreams. We, we see this in Benaniah, that, that he was in so many different battles throughout his life. And, and he proved himself to, to be a man of valor in so many different times. And, and he was the personal bodyguard to King David, and King David's son was Solomon. And, and, and if you know something about fathers and sons and these war stories, we can dial back, and, and I'm just going to dream a little bit within the lines of Scripture, and you won't find this there, but I would guess that on many occasions, Solomon would, would say to David, Dad, tell me the story, tell me the stories of your mighty men. T tell me uh, about how, how, they how they fought until the, the sword was frozen in their hand. Tell me how the rest of the army ran away, but one of them stayed in the field of lentils and fought beside you and wouldn't give up. 
Tell me the story about Ben and I who chased a lion on a snowy day. And somewhere in Solomon's upbringing, he saw and he heard stories of Ben and I enough to where one day when Solomon became king, and it's funny to go back to the context of, of the details we have about Ben and I because he wasn't one of the top three. But he was among them, and he was well-known. He was famous for some of his heroic deeds, but he didn't have you know, the, the grand stature that everyone else had. And as he was figuring out what God's dream was, he was serving David's dream as David was hiding, and he was protecting David in the caves, and he served David faithfully through his life. And then as David's life ended and Solomon became king, Solomon appointed Benaniah to be the second in charge in the land, the chief over all the armies. And I believe that it works this way, that when we chase the smaller dreams that God has put in front of us, it opens the doors for the bigger ones that we never would have dreamed to ask for. But there has to be this willingness to fight for what God has called us to do. As I begin to wrap up, if the band would begin to make their, their way back up to the stage, there's a, there's a study that some social psychologists did about regret, and they identified two different kinds of regret that we face in our life. There's the regret of action and there's the regret of inaction. And in the short term, we tend to regret a, an action that went wrong the most. But it's not by much, it's 53 to 47%. So 53% in the short term, if we did something we didn't want to do, didn't mean to do, we regret that more than the things that we didn't even try to do. But in the long term, that statistic shifts from from 53% to 47% to 83% to 17%. And so at the end of your life, what, what studies have shown and what you know to be true in your life is the biggest things that we regret are the chances that we never took. The risks, the opportunities that were in front of us that we never stepped into. And I'd say for many of us, in action, probably describes our faith pretty well. That it's been there, but it hasn't been living, it hasn't been breathing, it hasn't been directing our steps, it hasn't been empowering our calling. And I want to encourage you to move from inaction to a step forward. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the term sin in that passage it has some great application for us. Because there's been times where we've tried and we felt like our attempt just fell short. And I want to tell you that all of our attempts to be good enough for God, all of them will fall short. But what the verse right before, what 3.22 says, is that righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And if you've been going through life and you've been going through the motions and your faith and your connection to God has just been inaction, has just been something off to the side. It hasn't been the foundation of your life. Today is the right day to step forward. What Romans 10.9 says is, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's an element that when you believe in your heart and, and confess with your mouth, that God begins a work in your life. But it's a step that you have to take. And don't let fear hold you back anymore. Because I believe that God has so much more for you.
As I, as I close this up, I want to read you the Lion Chasers Manifesto from this book that we'll revisit every week of this three-week series. And he closes, closes this up by saying, Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Run to the roar. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God-given passions. Go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Stop pointing out problems. Become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past. Start creating the future. Face your fears. Fight for your dreams. Grab opportunity by the main and don't let go. Live like today is the first day and last day of your life. Burn sinful bridges. Blaze new trails. Live for the applause of nail-scarred hands. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping God. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Dare to fail. Dare to be different. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Quit running away. Chase the lion. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for every person here that as you place dreams and callings on their life, things that they need to step forward in, that you would give them courage to chase after it. And that if fear has been holding them back, that because of your love, because of your power, they can step forward, trusting you for the results. And if there's anyone here today that needs to take that step forward, I pray that you'd give them the courage to ask for help. I pray that you'd give them the courage to place all of their faith and trust in you today. And I thank you that when we call out to you, you are faithful to respond. We thank you for the love and we thank you for the calling you've placed in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we gather today uh, for worship, we're, we're going to receive the tithes and offerings. And if you're new here, please know there is no pressure to give. But this is something that we do with joy to push the vision and the mission of this church forward in our city. And so the ushers are going to come forward to receive the tithes and offerings.